Going to the dermatologist for the first time, there are a lot of questions to ask. But what if your child needs to see a dermatologist? My guest is Dr. Michael Barton, pediatric dermatologist at Skagit Regional Health. And today we'll learn about pediatric dermatology, when to take your child for treatment, what to expect during the visit, and more. This is Be Well, the podcast from Skagit Regional Health. I'm Maggie McKay. Many adults have visited a dermatologist, but what if your child needs to see one? What are they most commonly treated for, and are there things to know to prevent acne, for example? Dr. Barton, thank you so much for being here. Let's get right to it. What age of patients do you see in your practice? Yeah, most board-certified pediatric dermatologists have completed four years of foundational training in seeing both adults and kids, and then tack on an extra year of fellowship just seeing kids. So in academic institutions, generally a pediatric dermatologist will only see you know newborns up until 18 years of life before they transition to more of an adult dermatologist. In community settings like Skagit Regional Health, there tends to be a lot of overlap. And so I'll see, you know, kids all the way into adults. And so first day of life to the last day of life, if necessary. What conditions do pediatric dermatologists most frequently treat? I'd say some of the more common inflammatory conditions that I see would be things like atopic dermatitis or eczema, which can affect up to upwards of 20% of kids. Acne is obviously very common in, in teenagers and sometimes before and after. And then less common things like psoriasis or alopecia areata. Certainly a lot of infections, you know, viral triggered things like warts or molluscum. Tinea capitis, which is a fungal infection on the scalp, tends to be more common in children. And then a a wide array of of different bacterial infections. And then the final thing we, we tend to see a lot of are either birthmarks or sometimes just mold checks to make sure things are looking healthy, which fortunately, barring an underlying, you know, genetic predisposition, skin cancer in kids tends to be much, much less common. That's a good thing. When should a child visit a dermatologist? I'd say most of the kids I end up seeing or we end up seeing are under two two categories. One is when, you know, skin findings just aren't quite adding up. They're not clear. It's is it psoriasis? Is it eczema? Are there overlapping features? So when there's diagnostic uncertainty and, and there just needs to be a little bit of specialist input to kind of try to tease those things out, we can be we can be helpful in that regard. And then when when skin conditions just aren't responding to, you know, first line therapies or things you've been trying at home and they, they're either getting worse or just not responding as you'd expect. And then we can help to kind of step back and, and make sure we have the right diagnosis, but also explore some of those other therapies that might be more beneficial. And with their pediatrician recommend going to the dermatologist? Yeah, after, you know, especially if there is diagnostic uncertainty or if they've tried some of the the first line things that they're more comfortable with and it's just not responding, then we can definitely be helpful in that regard. As a parent, what symptoms or skin issues should we be looking out for? Symptoms primarily that we'll see are, are things that are itchy or painful, bothersome to kids, whether that's you know, any of the, the things I've previously mentioned are, are often associated with some of those symptoms. A lot of times it's asymptomatic and, and not even bothersome to the, you know, to the children. And so if it seems kind of unusual or out of place, something that, say for a, a mole, for example, something that looks nothing like anything else on the rest of the child's body, those can sometimes be yellow flags, not necessarily concerning, but worth potentially monitoring or having looked at. And 
Can you offer parents some tips for caring for children's skin just in general? Yeah, you know, we've had a, a few previous podcasts that have explored kind of sunscreen use, and so I won't belabor that, but I do just want to echo, you know, this is the first time in, in our lives where we're getting sun exposure, and, and the cumulative and, and interval exposure to sun can really set the stage for developing skin cancers later in life. And so finding a sunscreen somewhere with an SPF of around 30 or higher is generally sufficient, something that's broad spectrum, so it's going to protect against both UVA and UVB, and then water resistance, so it lasts up to about 80 minutes in the water, and then reapplying kind of every, every few hours as needed. So that can be helpful, and I'll say, you know, there's mineral blockers and there's physical blockers, and both can be used in kids, but physical blockers like zinc oxide and titanium dioxide, they don't tend to rub into the skin quite as well, and so for children with darker skin types, that can be a little bit challenging to use, and so the mineral blockers may be a little bit more cosmetically desired in that regard. And outside of just sun protection, I get a lot of questions about kids with eczema or sensitive skin. And so it can be, it can be tough because marketing often brands things as, you know, fragrance-free, but there may be a lot of preservatives or fragrances that are used to mask those fragrances. And so it's generally, if, if something's bland and has a short ingredient list, that tends to be a little bit better tolerated in kids with more sensitive skin. So if you can find things that are, you know, hypoallergenic or will say, you know, safer or, or pr- safe for eczema-prone skin, those tend to be a little bit better tolerated. I remember when I was a teenager and went to the dermatologist, they never said anything kind of consoling or like, you know, you'll outgrow this. Nothing. It was just like by the book. So it can be so frustrating for teens and make them self-conscious. Can you offer any advice to teenagers experiencing acne or to parents what to say to them? Yeah, definitely. You know, I I start off by just saying, you know, you're not alone. This is such a common, almost for a lot of teenagers, rite of passage. And for some fortunate few, they they end up not getting acne. And some, it tends to resolve as you get into your early 20s or past your teenage years. And for others, it can persist a little longer after that. But it's definitely a a common thing that we see in in this age group. I often see, you know, patients that come in and they're frustrated because they have, you know, four or five different things that they're using. And my advice is generally just to try to keep it simple. You know, if you're if you're adding too much, it may be more harsh and, and drying, and that can actually cause irritation and, and sometimes do more harm than good. And so generally for, you know, mild to sometimes moderate run-of-the-mill acne, something as simple as just one acne wash, which typically either has something like benzoyl peroxide around 5% is, is usually sufficient. The higher you go, the more irritating it can sometimes be and the risk of, of bleaching towels and clothing increases. But something like that just once a day can be can be beneficial. You know, the, the other thing is if you are getting, you know, more painful, deeper acne, or you know you have a family history of, of people that have had severe scarring acne, seeking treatment early can be beneficial to try to get an upper hand on your acne early to prevent scarring down the road. That's a good idea. What causes acne? Yeah, on a, a granular level, it actually gets a little bit complicated, but I usually say there's one of three things that most of our therapies are going to be targeting. And those consist of normal bacteria that live on all of our skin, hormones that can cause oil glands to release their secretions, and then blockage of the, the pores and follicles that then you know trap bacteria and, and lead to that kind of inflammatory acne that we see. How much of a factor does hygiene play a role in when preventing acne? Hygiene can be 
important, but only necessarily, you know, goes so far. It doesn't cover all of those factors. You know, you can scrub as hard as you want, but you're still going to have those hormones that are contributing to acne formation. So I view hygiene more as kind of a, a habit that can help you effectively treat your acne. It, it kind of builds that routine. And when it comes to acne, you know, consistency is the name of the game. And so just some general tips, you know, avoiding overwashing or scrubbing, which can be a little bit more damaging and, and irritating. For people that tend to have more sensitive skin, there are you know sensitive skin products that may be better tolerated than some of the the better smelling deodorant soaps. And then for teenagers that are you know wearing makeup, making sure that the product says something like non comedogenic or you know acne friendly, so that it's not clogging those pores and 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 leading to that acne formation. And hasn't every parent of a teenager with acne at one point or another said maybe repeatedly? Stop touching your face. Absolutely, yep. And that, you know, there's some truth to that in regard to, you know, the picking and squeezing. If it's causing more trauma, that can increase the risk sometimes for either slower healing or or scar formation down the road. Right. And does diet play a role in preventing acne? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I get that quite a bit in clinic. And I'll start by saying there's not a ton of overwhelming evidence or, or data looking at diet in pediatric patients. It's interesting in certain parts of the world, like Papua New Guinea or, or Paraguay, acne is minimal to absent. And so there's been some interest in how diet or lifestyle in these areas can, can lead to such a finding. But what I can tell you is, at least in the literature, there, there are really two diets where I, I at least explore and, and think about. And those are diets that have what we call a high glycemic index. And so foods like processed candy bars, breads, cake, cookies, you know, all the good stuff. If they're high in glycemic index, there is some relationship with acne and and acne severity. And so if you can replace those foods with lower glycemic index foods, things like unrefined grains, non-starchy vegetables and fruits, that can sometimes be beneficial. And the second one is overconsumption of dairy. And specifically, it seems like the studies suggest low fat and skin milk as a possible contributing factor. And so it's not very obvious often that I come across those or, or make a lot of strong, restrictive dietary recommendations. But those two instances can sometimes play a role. And I almost always, you know, there's always a parent that says it's got to be the chocolate. Chocolate seems to be the, the primary culprit. And there was at least one study in the late 60s where they they had two groups. One got chocolate bars and one got placebo chocolate, chocolate list bars. And it didn't seem like there was any statistically significant difference between those two groups. And so I generally don't deprive people of their chocolate and just try to <laughs> moderation in all things. So I love it. That's probably a parent thing, just trying to have an excuse to get their child off chocolate, maybe. <laughs> Keep the chocolate for themselves, exactly. That's true, too. Dr. Barton, thank you so much for helping us understand pediatric dermatology and what we can do to help our children. This has been so useful and so informative. We appreciate your time. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. To learn more, please visit SkagitRegionalHealth.org. Thanks for listening to Be Well, the podcast from Skagit Regional Health. And if you found this podcast helpful, please share it on your social channels and check out the full podcast library for topics of interest to you. I'm your host, Maggie McKay. Be well.